Thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch this and all of our sermons, visit our YouTube page and be sure to subscribe while you're there. For sermon notes, click the link in the description. Today, guest speaker Julie Heiliger will tell us how we can best find home. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's sermon. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. It's wonderful to get to be here with you this morning and get to share. And I just want to start by saying thank you, Dr. Anderson, for the privilege of getting to be here. I, I feel honored to be able to share with you this morning, all of you. And uh, Dr. Anderson, we look forward to having you back from sabbatical soon. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Julie Heiliger, and I am a minister with The Navigators. I am the wife of Dave Heiliger, and I am the mom of a very energetic seven-year-old daughter. And speaking of my daughter, my daughter loves audiobooks, and we actually just finished listening to one together this week. Uh, It's called A Snicker of Magic, and at the end of the book, uh, one of the characters said something that stood out to me, and I want to share a quote with you. The main character said this, home isn't just a house or a city or a place. Home is what happens when you're brave enough to love people. And I really connected with this quote because it's something I've experienced to be true. Five years ago, my husband Dave and my daughter and I, we moved into a townhouse community in Columbia, Maryland. We live on a court with 19 townhomes, and before we moved, God had started to stir in my heart about uh, the value of community and loving my neighbors well. See, where we lived before, most people were pretty disconnected. I knew the names of a few people, and and Dave and I were on good, friendly terms with a few of them, but for the most part, uh, including myself, we as neighbors were very uh, okay with just going from our cars into our home, and we didn't really want to stay and talk with one another very long, much less linger. And we lived in our previous home for 10 years. And even after living there for a while, many years, there are times where I had to work up the courage to say hi to a neighbor when I was walking in to my home. And I kid you not, there were times where neighbors would, they saw me, they heard me, but they would divert their eyes and walk on past as if I didn't say a thing. So you can understand why I might not have felt very connected to my neighbors or my neighborhood as a whole. I mean, perhaps you've experienced something similar, you know, where neighbors go out of their way not to be known. Maybe you've observed a neighbor who uses their home simply as a place to rest their head at night and nothing more. Or perhaps you're like me and how I used to think that my home is here to serve me and my purposes, and that's it. Now, I don't want to condemn those things too much. I mean, in our American society, a lot of this is just how we function. But could there be more? Do we have to be satisfied with the status quo? There's this command, perhaps you've heard of it before, love your neighbor as yourself. And this command is expansive. It's meant to open our hearts to love all who cross our path. 
It's something we're to apply any place we go and with any person we meet. Yet when our family sought to move into our new townhouse, God started asking me, what would it look like for you, Julie, to love your actual literal neighbors in the community in which you all live? Well, I'm a very goal-oriented person, and so I set the goal for myself to learn the names of all of our neighbors who live in the 18 homes surrounding our home, and I wanted to do that within the first year of us living there. Well, you have to understand that as much as I'm goal-oriented, I'm also an introvert, and so this was not a very easy thing for me to think about doing. But I knew that God was calling me to something greater, And he didn't want my preference for my introverted ways to be an excuse for not following God in what he was leading me to do. And so I took advantage of that new neighbor status that doesn't last for too long, and I put my extrovert pants on, and I started to know and become known. I made a point of meeting people at our community mailbox and... um, Our family tried to get some block parties going, and I invited neighbors over to have dinner at our house. And over time, relationships began to grow. And when I look back over the past five years, I'm so grateful that God began to expand my heart in this way. Because, kind of selfishly, I've gotten to experience so much joy from some of the people that I've met and some of the experiences that we've had together. See, something unexpected and a bit beautiful begins to happen when we slow down and we choose to discover and know the people who live around us and the community that surrounds our physical home. We get a front row seat to God's care for the place in which we live and his deep love for the people there. In fact, in our communities and our neighborhoods, Jesus is actively seeking to reveal himself and his kingdom reign, and he invites each of us to join him in that revelation. To see where the Lord is at work and to truly join him in it, we need to be willing to go on a journey, a journey of discovery, of finding home. And when we seek to explore our home through God's eyes, we begin to see our kitchen tables, our living rooms, our lawns, our streets, our neighborhood pools, the local grocery mart, all as remarkable resources for gospel renewal. Now, I understand that not everyone who hears me speak is going to feel called to focus their attentions in their neighborhood, and that's okay. But for this moment, I ask for you to consider with me a possibility, a possibility that God can use us very ordinary people, in the very ordinary places in which we live, in order to bring into the open the good news and kingdom life that Jesus longs for each person to experience. So how do we do this? How do we go about finding home through God's eyes? How do we begin to see our communities as God sees them? Well, I want to share with you four aspects of finding home by exploring your neighborhood through God's eyes. That's four aspects of finding home by exploring your neighborhood through God's eyes. And the first aspect is this, hold to a kingdom-bringing mindset. There are many tremendously kind 
and neighborly people out there who do not know Jesus. And all of us can learn a thing or two from them about what it means to be a good neighbor. One thing, though, that sets Christ followers apart from other good neighbors isn't that we're better or we're more special or we have the corner market on being kind. It's simply that we know that we are loved and forgiven by the Son of God and that he deserves our whole selves. This good news of Jesus, his perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, it's something that we can offer to our neighbors that others can't. Sharing the gospel of Jesus is love. But we do need discernment. Our neighbors aren't spiritual projects. Our love for them is not based on their acceptance or rejection of Jesus. We don't force people into spiritual conversations, nor do we bash the Bible over people's heads. But we do prayerfully ask the Lord for opportunity to share his good news with others because it's good news. But Jesus is king, and a king also has a kingdom. I've really come to appreciate Colossians 1, 19 and 20 in the message, and I'm going to read that to you now. Speaking of Christ, it says, So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe. All of the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe. People and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood, that poured down from the cross. See, God's dream, if you will, his desire, and one that will take place one day, is that Jesus will reign as king over everything, and that all things... Yes, we as people, but all things are going to be reconciled to him. So with this in mind, we look at our neighborhoods and we ask the Lord as your representative Jesus, how can I be a part of your work to properly fix and fit together the broken and dislocated pieces that show themselves in my community? I have a friend, Stephanie, and she and her husband, Ed, own a construction company, and they began to ask this very question. They basically said, Lord, we have this construction company. How can we use it to show you and your kingdom to those who live right here in our community? And you know what happened? Well, they started working with other players in the community, and in collaboration, they are doing their part to tackle the homelessness issue in their town. So Stephanie and her husband, they're taking their construction company and they're building tiny homes where those who don't have a place to live can now live. And the men and women who are living in these homes, they're given training and they're given the time that they need in order to save up and move into long-term and secure housing. And in fact, several groups of men and women have already graduated and moved on to long-term housing. This, it's a beautiful thing, and this is just one example of a kingdom-bringing mindset. You, like me, may not own a construction company, but what do you have? Do you have a lawnmower? Do you have a pickup truck? Do you know how to sew? Do you know how to speak a second language? Whatever it is, whether big or small, if you, you offer that thing to the Lord for him to use 
as he wants for you to love your neighbors as he desires for you to do. He's going to take that offering and he's going to use it in ways that you can't even imagine. And so we hold to a kingdom-bringing mindset. The second thing that we do is we operate with a value of place. You might be thinking to yourself, why does place matter? Julie, you're asking me to think locally. Why? Why do I have to really think about my literal neighbors or the coffee shop owner down the street? And those are great questions. And I would answer by posing another question. Have you ever considered how place, and I mean geographic location, have you ever considered how place and spiritual purpose can be tied together? Check out this verse in Acts 17, um, verses 26 and 27. It says, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. One version says the exact places where they live. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. The placing of every people group throughout history in terms of both the time period in which they lived and the location, the physical location where they are placed, is all designed to help them, to help us to seek, find, reach out for God. The Israelites are a great example of this. I'm going to share something with you that a former Bible professor shared with me, and it just stuck with me, and um, you're going to hear it today. Have you ever wondered why, in the Old Testament, God gave his chosen people, the Israelites, the strip of land called Canaan? Well, we're going to put up a map for you um, of the ancient Near East, okay? And you'll see that there's uh, this rectangle that says Israel, and that very roughly shows the land that the Israelites occupied. Well, when we look to the left of Israel, we see the Mediterranean Sea. And when we look to the right, we see the desert. Well, in the ancient Near East, water navigation was not well developed. And so one could not easily utilize um, the Mediterranean Sea as a way to get from here to there. And the desert is a desert and not easily passable. So at first glance, we might look at this map and say, okay, God, why, why are you isolating your people? You've sandwiched them between a sea and a desert. What, what are you doing here? But really, isolation was the furthest thing from God's mind. Because of the sea and the desert, this strip of ground acted as a land bridge that connected all of the major nations in the ancient Near East. So any nation wanting to do business or trade with other nations would have to pass through Israel. So during their travels, they would rub shoulders with the businessmen and businesswomen. They, they would rub shoulders with the Israelites. Think about the implications of this. By living a lifestyle of obedience to God in the promised land, the Israelites, through their everyday lives, provided a glimpse of God to the nations. It's true that in scriptures, in the scriptures, God sends out his people um, to go to the nations. You know, Jonah is a great example of that. And I wholeheartedly believe that there is a time to go. However, for the average Israelite, it was ordinary life in their neighborhood that gave them a platform 
to display and speak out the goodness of God and his truth to the world. Perhaps, like the Israelites, God wants you, in the very ordinary place where you live, to be the salt and light of Jesus right where he has planted you. Perhaps your life in your neighborhood, for however long or short you're there, is a platform that God is giving you to display and speak out his truth and good news of love and redemption for your neighbors. And so we operate with a value of place. We're talking about four aspects of finding home by exploring your neighborhood through God's eyes. We said we hold to a kingdom-bringing mindset. We operate with a value of place. And thirdly, we move at the pace of the Spirit. You know, we just established that God is in the business of physically placing his people. And in their places, the Lord invites his people. He invites us to be deeply rooted and faithfully present there. This means learning how to be spirit-led, something that is applicable in all of life, but no less so in the neighborhood. So you remember the Israelites, we've been talking about them. Well, before they made it to the promised land, they were wandering through the desert, and they were completely dependent on moving when God said to move and staying put when God said to stay put. We see this in Exodus 40, verses 36 to 37. It says, In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud which is referred to earlier as the cloud of the Lord, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. And this is how we want to be. We want to be people who let God set the pace where the Holy Spirit leads because he knows far better than we do. I want to share with you a story about a time when I did not move to care for a neighbor when the Spirit was prompting me to do so. I have many positive stories I could share with you, but I'm telling you this because I think perhaps, hopefully, you can learn from one of my not-so-shining moments. So we had a neighbor who lived next door in our current place, and I'll call him Sam. He moved a couple of months ago, but Sam is in his 60s, and he rented the basement of the townhouse next to ours, and the townhouse is owned by a very kind elderly couple. And it's happened from time to time that this elderly couple, I don't know if they forget or what, but they lock the screen door, and Sam works for the local casino, so he gets off um, in the middle of the night, and it's happened sometimes when he can't get inside because the screen door is locked. Well, this past February, we had a very cold night here in Maryland. It's one of those nights where uh, they send out warnings and they say you shouldn't stay out for too long because of the dangerously cold temperatures. Well, that very night, I woke up at 2.30 in the morning and I hear Sam pounding on the front door and I hear some choice words coming out of his mouth and I think, ah, poor Sam, he can't get in, you know. It's happened again. And I just thought, okay, he'll go back to his car. He'll stay warm. He'll be fine. And as I was thinking through that, the Spirit just seemed to say inside of me, just kind of prompted me, go outside and help Sam. And immediately in my spirit, I was like, um, no way. <laughs> it's, it's 2.30 in the morning. It's 
literally freezing outside. I'm not going out by myself. So what am I supposed to do? Wake Dave up and say, hey, the God, God's saying we have to go outside right now. And I thought, even if we do connect with Sam, what am I supposed to do? He's, we're on friendly terms, but he's never set foot in our house before. Are we supposed to offer him a spare bed to sleep in? I, I just had too many questions. It didn't seem right to me. And I was unsettled about it, but I convinced myself to go back to sleep. Well, long story short, it turns out that Sam had lost his keys. He dropped them somewhere outside after parking his car. And he couldn't get into the house, and the older couple wasn't hearing him, and he couldn't get back into his car, and his phone was locked in his car. And so he sat outside for the rest of the night, about five hours. And guys, he was not in good shape. In the end, an ambulance needed to be called. And Sam went to the hospital. He had hypothermia. And he spent days recovering in the hospital. Now, Sam losing his keys, not my fault. Sam not asking for help, not my fault. We've helped him with other things. I know it was the middle of the night, but he, he could have knocked on our door. These were extreme circumstances. He didn't. Not my fault. Me telling the Lord that my neighbor is not my responsibility and that I would not obey the prompting of God, that's on me. And so I've told Dave that if I ever wake up in the middle of the night again and I tell him, the Lord is asking me or us to do something right now, the only response he's allowed to give is to wipe the sleep from his eyes, shake his head yes, and say, let's go. (laughs) Because when we seek to love our neighbors as ourselves, we need to practice listening to the Spirit and moving at his pace. All right, our, our final point here is exercise a community mindset. I've been saying the word community a lot today, and I've been talking about our greater neighborhoods in which we live. But when I say community here, I'm talking about the unity that we can have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We see throughout the Gospels that Jesus lived his life in community. Um, Check out Luke 6, 12 to 13. It says, One of those days, Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came... He called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Jesus is the Son of God. When he was here on earth, he could have chosen to be completely self-sufficient. Just him, the Father, the Spirit, he would have been good. It's not like he needed help with miracles. He didn't have to invite some people to constantly be with him, watching him, questioning him, misunderstanding him. He didn't need any of that. And yet, he invited 12 men to be some of his closest companions, to travel with him, to take part in helping with some of his miracles, to go to synagogue with him, to attend weddings. If we're going to pattern our lives after Jesus, then we need to be willing to do the same with our brothers and sisters. 
You know, if we seek to go it alone in the neighborhood, we run the risk of a few things. We run the risk of loneliness. We run the risk of burnout. We run the risk of becoming a little prideful and arrogant if we think we're the only ones who can bring the good news to others. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. He wants us to work together. Maybe not with every person that is a follower of Christ, but let's not go it alone. We're not designed for that. We have the opportunity to give a communal witness. You know, we're multiple people who know and love Jesus, humbly share the good news with their neighbors together. And there are four points. We hold to a kingdom-bringing mindset, we operate with a value of place, we move at the pace of the Spirit, and we exercise a community mindset. The first letter of each of those points, H-O-M-E, home. Now, if you're wondering how you can begin, or for some of you, perhaps strengthen your journey of finding home, let me suggest two things just to get you started. And the first is this. Become a learner of your place. Get to know your place. And this will look different for different people, but for some of you, it might mean getting to know the names of some of your neighbors. You know, you don't have to know the name of everybody, um, but is there somebody that you see kind of regularly, maybe you wave to, that you met, five-plus years ago when you moved in, but you have no clue who they are now. Well, I think it's time. I would encourage you, humble yourself, go reintroduce yourself. They don't remember your name either, so you may as well be the one to break the ice. And I would say to do this because how can you love your neighbor as yourself if you don't even know their name? So for some of you, that might be the first step. For others of you, you might say, okay, I want to learn who are the local business owners who live around me. Maybe there's a local restaurant, and you can somewhat, with some regularity, go and frequent that restaurant, maybe get to know the, the owner there, build some relationship. Or perhaps for some, it's looking to see what extracurricular activities are available for your children right there, rather than driving 20 or 30 minutes down the road. So there are lots of different ways that you can become a learner of your community. Um, but these are just a few ideas. Um, but it's important to know who's actually around you, what's actually around you, how can you get plugged in there. The second thing that I would suggest is consider taking 30 days to walk and pray through your neighborhood. Walking and praying through your neighborhood will begin to give you eyes to see your neighbors and your neighborhood through God's eyes. I know somebody who actually created a guide called 30 Days of Praying Through Your Neighborhood, and you'll be told shortly how you can get a copy of this guide if you're interested in using it. Consider how your community could look different, how you could look different. Even in 12 months, as you seek to explore your neighborhood, your home, through God's eyes, what homeless person might begin to feel their value when they see that you treat them as a neighbor instead of a nuisance? What elderly couple might feel pleasure from being folded in instead of forgotten? What person struggling with depression might feel accepted instead of abandoned? What joy 
might you experience as you get to know some of the neighbors who live around you? Who knows what God wants to do in and through you? As the song during the commercial said, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. True. And you and I can help to extend love. But the love that we and our neighbors ultimately need can only be found in Jesus. And as God's children, we get the opportunity to embody and extend his love, his gospel, and his kingdom life to others right where we live. When we seek to explore our home through God's eyes, we begin to see our kitchen tables, our living rooms, our lawns, our streets, our neighborhood pools, and our local grocery marts as remarkable resources for gospel renewal. Consider with me a possibility, a possibility that God can use us, very ordinary people, in the very ordinary places in which we live, to bring into the open the good news and kingdom life that God longs for each of us to experience. May God bless you on your journey of finding home. Thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Remember, you can learn more about Bridgeway by visiting our website at bridgeway.cc. You can watch this sermon and all of our sermons at our YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe. And you can download the sermon notes at the link in the description. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.